Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV. It is a day. It's Thursday. It's Friday light on The Hash. You know it's going to be fun. All right, I'm Zach Seward. We got Adam Levine, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. Adam is going to take us to New York for a bit of news on crypto regulation. Adam, take it away. Indeed. Thank you, Zach. So yeah, so our first story today comes from the state of New York, where the Department of Financial Services has laid down some new restrictions and rules on what banks need to do before they can interact with cryptocurrency. According to the guidance, banks registered in the state will need to seek regulatory permission from the department 90 days before they get involved with the new asset class, even if it's through a third party. The banks will need to submit business plans and operating models, as well as who they think their customer is and how they intend to approach them. This applies to all services, including crypto transmission, custody, buying, and selling, again, even through a third party. This isn't the first time that we've seen really pretty strict rules like this come out of the state of New York. I would say that this is actually kind of what the state of New York has become known for uh, in the crypto industry over the last you know, dozen years. Uh, but it is kind of, I think these are the most strict requirements that we've seen so far. Zach, I'll kick it back to you. You've, you know, you've paid a lot of attention to kind of stories like these uh, during your time at Coindesk. What's your kind of read on this as it fits into the history of things? Uh, yeah, I mean, New York with the bit license has always been pretty aggressive in seeking to regulate crypto firms, um, sometimes to much consternation among the crypto community. There's a lot of people from the olden days who say that New York really drove out a lot of its uh, crypto firms without good cause. So the fact that they're sort of uh, ramping up this, I think, makes sense, is in keeping with past steps from this particular state regulator. And I think it also comes as banks are looking to figure out how to serve this asset class to their customers, right? We saw a lot of news out of NYDIG working with smaller banks to position uh, crypto, basically savings accounts within both local banks and credit unions across the country. Certain banks have experimented with that. I think that was certainly a function of when interest in Bitcoin was significantly higher than it is right now. So we're not hearing a ton on that front. But it would make sense that in response to some of those news stories that have come out, the regulator is seeking a pretty rigorous 
set of rules by which these banks need to follow. So yeah, in keeping, I think, with what New York is trying to do as it relates to crypto policy. I'll toss it down to Will for his thoughts. Yeah, New York has actually been pretty aggressive on these things in its history. The most recent one is the government moratorium on Bitcoin mining for the last two years or going to the next two years where people are not going to be able to plug into the grid there unless they get special permission or using renewable energy. And a lot of miners are now moving out of the state. And like you said, Zach, it goes back to that 2015 law, the bit license. But I do think that this is like a wider thing that we're seeing in the context of what happened with FTX. And just last week, Canada also banned a lot of forms of margin trading for all cryptocurrency users in that country. So I think we're going to see a lot of knee-jerk reactions coming out of what happened with FTX from lawmakers. If they have the ability to do it, just as regulators without being elected and it's within their power, their jurisdiction, I think they're going to do that just because of like the picture, right? If you're a regulator and you're not taking aggressive actions in order to uh, make a scene at the very least or make a headline in the wake of FTX, then I think you're probably not doing your job, or at least in the eyes of your constituents. This is a bummer for a lot of people who are involved with the space, though. It's certainly a bummer. Zach, kick it back to you. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because, you know, the crypto picture is painted in broad brushstrokes. And we see FTX becoming emblematic for a bunch of crypto things that, does, that like, the disaster does not speak to many of the crypto things that are being hauled in in this massive net from regulators, both at the state and federal level. We were talking this week about a bill put forth by Senator Elizabeth Warren, which is guilty of some of those things, according to Coin Center, which is probably the leading advocacy organization for crypto in Washington, D.C. So we're seeing a lot of this stuff come out where it's sort of not a perfect fit. And even in some of the conversations around uh, how to regulate this industry, don't really situate themselves in the facts of what happened with FTX, which is sort of a fraudulent middleman was involved here, right? And uh, as opposed to trying to regulate fraudulent middlemen out of the system, they're seeking to regulate some of the underlying technologies that may indeed ultimately solve some of the problems that these FTX-like situations are really all about. So I think just that broad brushstrokes understanding of what crypto is in sort of the general consciousness like continues to rear its ugly head in ways, especially in the regulatory side of things. Jen, I saw your hand tossing at you. Yeah, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. You know, in the Senate hearing yesterday, they brought up banks. They said, you know, this isn't only a centralized exchange thing. This isn't only a crypto thing. A lot of the big banks in the States are getting into crypto. And how are we going to look at that? And I think Will is exactly right. Now, in the light of FTX, in the light of us having all of this emotional reaction to so many people losing so much money, these regulations that have been in the pipeline for a long time, regulators who have been trying to push this narrative for a long time, they finally have that, that reason, that narrative and that story to push it through. So I don't think that this is the first time we're going to see this. Adam, I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, just a quick thought at kind of the end of all this. You know, I mean, when we're talking about kind of these types of permission regimes, permission is the important kind of part to focus on here, right? Banks are heavily regulated. They have all kinds of requirements that are already placed on them. There is an argument that can be made, especially in the wake of FTX, that we need to be very careful and take, you know, careful controls over these types of things. But at the same time, when I see something like this, what I'm thinking about is if you have to submit a plan 90 days in advance for approval, that means that they can say no to you. Even if your plan is something that probably isn't a problem, it kind of puts a step in there where they can just be like, no, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that. And I think that, again, that can be used for good. It can be used you know, to help people avoid real risks. It can also be used as a way to kind of keep uh, entrenched powers in power. And we've seen that over and over again coming out of New York, where notoriously, despite having kind of the, um, you know, being very early to the table uh, with the bit license as one of the kind of regulatory regimes, 
very few companies over the life cycle of that instrument have actually uh, been able to achieve one. And it's typically been the very largest companies who are out there too. So it's, you know, it's good on the one side, it's bad on the other side. It's New York classically. I think we can move on. Will, you've got the next story. From the institutions are coming to the regulators are coming seems to be the headline there. Let's move over to on-chain data and talk about Binance. Ever since FTX collapsed, Binance has been getting a lot of speculation on Twitter and other sources saying like, hey, Binance might not be up to spec. Binance did release an audit of their holdings or liabilities and their assets, but that came under a lot of scrutiny from many people in the industry. CryptoQuant, which is a blockchain explorer and a blockchain analysis company, released some new findings saying that they think that Binance's reserves are actually up to spec, saying about 99% are backed by crypto assets themselves, and then 101% are actually covered by all assets if you denominate it in USD. This is a pretty strong case on behalf of Binance, which again is facing a lot of headwinds from people saying this might be the next FTX. We don't know if that's the case, right? This is a lot of speculation and FUD at this point. But to be clear, it's always good to look under the rug before it actually gets pulled out from underneath you. Zach, going to throw this one up to you, get your take on CryptoQuant. Yeah, seeing some of these charts being shared around Twitter yesterday, and I think they're pretty compelling, right? I mean, despite some of the histrionics on Twitter, those charts don't look especially bad, right? And this is, you know, we've seen some big numbers in sort of raw terms, right? We saw over a billion dollars in outflows from, uh, from Binance, and we talked about that this week. But in percentage terms, it looks like this is a chart that might be pretty healthy. Now, there's still, I think, healthy like skepticism is absolutely warranted in this instance, right? People should be cautious as it relates to the centralized uh, custodians that they're entrusting with their assets. But I think this is a nice sort of like calming presence to like look at these charts and be like, okay, got it. Okay, this puts it in perspective in a way that I think some of the hand wringing may not. But yeah, I, I still think this is very much like a wait and see situation. But for now, this data suggests that, hey, maybe things aren't as bad as people are making it out to be. Adam, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, I think that there's just a lot of fear in the market right now. Again, like FTX was a trusted name. Like there's really no other way to say it than that and have been kind of held up as, uh, you know, by including on the show, we talked many times about Sam Bankman-Fried and the stuff that he was doing that seemed very much to be, you know, the type of thing that somebody who was above board would do. And yet we've now seen that actually it was all a facade, at least allegedly right now. Um, the part about this that I like right now is that CryptoQuant is putting skin in the game effectively. Like they're, by making this claim, like I, I don't even need to look at the numbers on this. Like I, I'm not going to trust any of these people, but I think that it's interesting that a company like CryptoQuant would effectively, you know, go to bat for, for Binance. And that gives me some confidence that in fact, this is real. If they're wrong, <laughs> And we do see a collapse from Binance. It would have catastrophic sort of uh, you know, implications for people trusting CryptoQuant as an organization. And so that type of skin in the game, to me, makes me more likely to trust something like this. Although there can certainly be relationships that are behind the scenes that we don't know about. Uh, I think the, the other kind of elephant in the room here is uh, Tether, right? So like, just as a lot of attention is focused on Binance and Binance has attempted to kind of uh, to assuage those concerns, Tether has kind of the same situation. Uh, has been a kind of problem as far as, uh, you know, like people have been concerned about it for a lot longer. And they have a much harder time proving that they are in fact above board because the reserves that people are concerned about aren't reserves that are held on a blockchain. They're reserves that are by nature of the kind of reserves that they are held off a blockchain, which means you have to trust auditors and that's a whole complicated process. So I think, again, like, I, you know, I see this as a good sign for Binance. Um, and so far, I haven't really seen any evidence for in either case to suggest there's a problem. But again, there's just a lot that we don't know. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel like, you know, the whole industry 
has a bad taste in their mouths, right? Like we trusted FTX. A lot of people trusted SBF as the voice of this industry. And to see it collapse like this, it's no wonder that we're looking at Binance now, the biggest crypto exchange in the world and saying, well, can we trust you? Because we trusted the last person and they, they did us really wrong. It reminded me of the recent report from Reuters that brought up that Binance and CZ are being investigated by regulators. And it said, well, actually, you know, we've been investigated over 47,000 times since 2021. I would think an exchange that is under the magnifying glass by regulators that much would have their papers, would have their books a little bit more in order, I hope, than we found that FTX did. So I, I feel the calm from this as well. I want to bring up really quickly the proof of reserves and how liabilities are calculated. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of people were worried about when Binance pushed out their proof of reserves is how do we know that your liabilities exist and where they exist? And CZ even tweeted at one point saying that we don't have any liabilities because we don't have any outstanding loans. And then he said, proof for it is just asking around, like go ask people in the industry. And you know, that doesn't really shake up as an audit in any sense of the word, right? Like no one's going to accept that. Go talk to a big form audit firm. They're not going to be okay with that. So I do have some questions about how liabilities are stacked up. On-chain reserves are pretty easy to look at. Just look at the addresses. If you give a list of addresses, you're good. But the liabilities are definitely in question here. Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why Crypto Compare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. All right. The UN Refugee Agency is working with the Stellar Development Foundation to send USDC stablecoins across the Stellar blockchain to those impacted by the Ukrainian war. Now, this is pretty cool. This is a cool little thing. It's a pilot. It's a bit of good news in an otherwise dour media environment. It's even a bit of a marketing push from Stellar, which took out a big old print ad in the New York Times touting this advancement. Interesting to see this stuff. We talk about some of the uh, cross-border applications of what blockchains can provide, right? These are payment rails that can reach people in ways that other systems can't, especially in times of conflict. And it would be cool to see if this pilot ultimately uh, continued on in some meaningful fashion. That's my particular view on this. I will toss it to Jen for her thoughts on this UN Stellar USDC tie-up. I think this is a wonderful news, Zach. I'm so happy you brought this story amongst all of this other drama that we talk about every day here on the show. 
I think that this is a great way to test USDC for remittances, right? This is a conversation that we've been having all year, really amplified by the World Economic Forum. And if this works, I think we have a great test case to, to see the steps that need to be taken to get there. So in this scenario, users need to download the Vibrant wallet. They then get their USDC, and then that USDC can be converted to US dollars or euros at MoneyGrams across the world. I think that that is really cool, an awesome disruptor for remittances, and I am excited to see how it works. Also, what an awesome way to get money to people in parts of the world that we can't reach via traditional rails. So I am very bullish on this story. Will? Okay, I don't know if a full two-minute segment can give justice for the story because I have a more nuanced opinion than just necessarily liking it. I think that there's good aspects about the story. We want to help people in regions of the world that cannot get access to aid. But on the other side of the story, there is a lot of questions about Stellar in particular and how they always seem to end up on the marketing end of things. If you go back a few years, Danelle Dixon, who is the chairperson for Stellar Foundation, was somehow able to make it to Congress and speak on behalf of Stellar. And she attacked a lot of other crypto coins out there. And that did not do her a lot of favors in the crypto industry and the people how she was viewed for her comments there. And on behalf, she's also you know, shilling Stellar, which has an interesting history as well. Like it's more or less like a, a fork of the Ripple blockchain or XRP, I should say. So there's questions around that. And so it's like its placement in the crypto hierarchy is definitely a little interesting. That being said, it is cool to see a foundation pushing this initiative. And I do think that's the only way a lot of these things are going to happen, right? Because you might think like Bitcoin or Ethereum might be a good alternative, but the case is they're decentralized, right? So who's the one going to be able to push this? You need a foundation that actually has money and initiative to be able to do this. So sometimes marketing does do the good work on behalf of other people. So I have a nuanced take on it, not just good or bad, a little bit in between. Adam, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, I think that the interesting part about all of this, of course, is the diversity in kind of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's been attacking different payment, uh, you know, uh, like different uh, payment use cases, stuff like that. It turns out it's actually harder to do that in real life than it is to just do it in a white paper. A lot of that has to do with the relationships that you have to then build to make it such that, because the transmission is one part, right? Like being able to send something from someone to someone else, irrespective of where they are. That's one part. The other part, though, is being able to then convert it into a local currency where it can actually be useful. And it seems like the ecosystem that Stellar has put together here, at least in this particular circumstance, is doing that. This has kind of been Stellar's like reason for being since the very early days back when Jed uh, who is also a founder of the uh, Ripple of you know of Ripple and uh, Ripple Labs and uh, the XRP protocol, uh, which was something that was out years before kind of Ethereum uh, came out, it was one of the very very early projects, one of the early differentiated projects that didn't get a lot of respect from cryptocurrency folks at the time, but has proven to be resilient at least tackling this kind of more mainstream type use case. Stellar here, I think, is racking up a win. It's interesting to see it happen, and it's interesting to see the partnerships that they had to build it uh, to get it done. And, you know, I think that it's worth, a, it's worth, you know, a pat on the back for them for, for making that happen because a lot of people have tried and it's been harder than people have expected. Zach, what do you think? I just want to make fun of Will and say that he was the question <laughs> ask score. And I don't want to like make a meme where it's like, just asking questions. What about- We got to stop <laughs> explaining memes on this show. We got to stop it. That, that's <laughs> really all I want. That's now. really all I want to add. I mean, but to your point, right? Like the UN refugee agency like needs an entity through which it can do this thing. And maybe that is the function of foundations that can provide access to these partners to otherwise mm. permissionless networks. But anyway, just a thought. Jen, tossing it to you. Yeah. Uh, before I take us into 
probably the best story of the day. I just want to compare this to what happened in El Salvador. Remember when they introduced the Shiva wallet there? They thought, you know, this is going to be a real disruptor to remittances. This is really going to help get money in and out of the country. And then the people who were actually using it had so many issues with the wallet. There wasn't a lot of conversion. So I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Hopefully this can be different. All right. Are you guys ready for the most exciting story of the morning? There is a new NFT on the block and its founder is Donald Trump. Let's take a look at the video. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump. Hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. Okay, listen, so they're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. We understand what these are. He didn't say Trump NFT, and so maybe his audience is going to understand this is a digital collectible that's going to you know, give them access to some perks. I think that one of the perks is that you actually get to sit down with Donald Trump for dinner. But Adam, I'm going to toss it off to you because I think that you have a little bit of experience with this project already. I uh, heard this come out this morning and I couldn't help myself. I went all the way through the process just to see if this thing was actually real. And it is in fact real. It's using the Polygon <laughs> network in order to deliver the tokens. Really what it is, is it's an NFT version of kind of like a classic sweepstake type situation. So Jen, you mentioned that people can uh, effectively win a dinner with Donald Trump, can win you know, a round of golf with them and kind of other things like that. And that is indeed it. There's also the ability to uh, enter the sweepstakes without actually, <laughs> without actually buying any of the NFTs. And the NFTs themselves, again, the one that I got is basically like a very skinny Donald Trump wearing a suit and a cowboy hat. Uh, and so it appears to be like a classic, you know, board ape yacht club style, uh, you know, like just kind of assemble it into the thing. But one other thing worth noting is that uh, during the <laughs> checkout process, which you can do using both a credit card or a, uh, you know, or crypto, that if you buy 45 of these cards, then for $4,500, you can get a guaranteed dinner <laughs> with Donald Trump, which felt like it was a little bit cheap to me relative to kind of what I would have <laughs> expected. But anyways, it's a ridiculous story. And I think another sign that we are on the road to boring. <laughs> where NFTs are oh, just really a basic part of how all of this stuff, you know, all of this stuff and how politics works. Anyways, who wants it next? Will, how about you? Yeah, I think this gives you a little taste of the 2024 campaign contributions for the Trump campaign at this point. Because the turn to NFTs, things cannot be that good. I do want to follow up on what Melania Trump did, which was she was on the Solana blockchain, and then they did not eventually launch those NFTs. And now Donald Trump is on the Polygon blockchain. So a little intrigue there. Also, this follows up on his tweet from, I think, 2019, where Donald Trump infamously said, I'm not a fan of Bitcoin or any other so-called cryptocurrencies. And yet here we are, three, four years later, and the man is launching his own NFT collectible suite. And I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of anything cringy. And so I think we needed this laugh right now with everything going on in FTX. So yeah, I might go purchase one. He's somehow extremely skinny in these NFTs, and I love it. So I might go, you know, get a little uh, sweepstake there. But yeah, you know, I'm a fan of it. Zach, up to you. A video is pure gold. I mean, the better than Lincoln, better better than Washington. <laughs> like that's a wow. They didn't have Put NFTs. That, so classic Trump. True. Yeah, they Put didn't. That in the Smithsonian, folks. That video right <laughs> there is mm, chef's kiss. Anyway, there's some big ideas to be had. I'm just reveling in, uh, you know, the blessings on the timeline that uh, this has spawned. 
um, you know, big picture, right? We're talking about fan engagement. It's crossing over into the political realm. We have, we're talking about this in the context of Starbucks, talking about this in the context of other big sort of corporate initiatives. This is clearly sort of an extension of that, right? Where it's like, hey, here's some additional utilities perks that super fans of whatever the brand may be can get by purchasing this digital collectible. And to see Trump do this with, again, just a purely just an amazing commercial is quite remarkable. But Jen, I'll throw it to you. That Statue of Liberty one is amazing. Uh, I was going to bring up what Will brought up. Melania Trump also launched her NFT collection. I don't know what happened with it, but I went to her website this morning. And so her original collection was her eyes. But since then, she's launched three more. So there was one for Women's History Month. Yeah, there was one that had to do with something else. I don't know. She launched three more collections after that. So maybe the Trumps are just getting into the NFTs. Adam? Yeah, I mean, I think one question that I had is, is this a first for a major presidential candidate? Because he did recently announce, uh, you know, was, I believe the first person to announce for 2024. Is this the first time that we've seen an NFT drop from a major party presidential candidate? I think it is. Well, we saw it in South Korea. I, in the States, I think so. But in South Korea, I believe there was a candidate who did this. Okay. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> Last note I want to make is when it comes to Trump, you always check the fine print. So I made sure to go do that. If you go look in the fine print for this NFT job, you will find out that you actually do not own the images or rights to the NFT that is on there itself. You only have the digital collectible. But that image of Trump doing whatever he's doing in the image, that is not yours. It belongs to Trump still. You may not reproduce it in any which way. That's in the fine print. So always make sure to check that. Jen, back to you. Yeah, I mean, that that brings us back to this intellectual property question that we've had in the NFT space for a long time. Trump's collection is not the only collection that doesn't give you rights to the imagery, but it would be so great to get one of these NFTs and put it on a t-shirt. I would definitely wear that and pay good money for it. But I think let's just leave it there. Let's all go get a Trump NFT. Let's not say we did. How about that? I'm going to buy you one, Zach. I'll send it to you. That's the correct comment. (laughs) For Christmas. Adam has one. (laughs) Let's just participate in the the glory of of, of that purchase. Yes, that's, that's good times. All right. Well, that's it for the show today. Thanks for sticking with us on The Hash. We'll be back to you tomorrow. Check us out on the podcast network if you so choose. Otherwise, come back right here to your streaming platform of choice and watch us get you caught up on the news. That's it. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 